0: welcome to the 12th house. I'm Michelle Palazon, your host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism. Delighted to have you here with us. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Hi, TikTokers. Hi, Instagram. Hi, YouTube people. We are on the internet lately quite a bit. And I'm so happy that you're here and you're trying out our podcast. I know it's like kind of a lot to dedicate your listening hours to somebody when we're used to like 30 seconds of video. So I appreciate that you're here. And a little context, if you're brand new to the podcast, or you've been here for a while, but haven't really heard us talk about our thesis of what this thing's about. The 12th house is a house in astrology. It's the last house in the wheel. And the 12th house represents the unseen. It represents the threshold. The space, the liminal space between life and death. And the 12th house also represents a lot of things that are scary. Shadow, death, psychic abilities, the unknown. And a lot of the time in astrology, the 12th house gets a bad rap. So funny, actually. One of my cousins. So I'm Italian. I have a lot of cousins. A lot, a lot of cousins. And one of my cousins texted me yesterday. And he's he's a year younger than me. And I love him. He is the kindest, sweetest person. Just, uh, well, wait, wait till you hear his chart. You'll get it and he's seen he's like he has lived a life. He is just so inspiring to me. And he texted me and was like, "Hey, how do I look up my my astrology big 3?" And I was like, "Who's the girl? <laughs> Who is she? And what's her sign?" And he was like, "She's a Libra and she's great and awesome. I can't wait to meet her. She sounds lovely." So, I gave him the Channy app and link to go look up his chart and I was like, text me when you get your chart. So I want to read it for you. He was like, okay, great. Cause I don't understand it. So he sent it to me. And amongst many other things, he has a 12th house cancer son. And he was like, is that bad? Everything that I'm reading about the 12th house is that it's bad. And like it's kind of scary, but then there's other things that say it's good. So, like, what does it mean that my son is there? And it's like, no, no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be there. And it's also intense, especially double water placement. That's why he and I get along. I'm an eighth house Pisces stellium. He's a 12th house cancer son. I mean, shit. Yeah. Anyways, I yes, I have a Pisces son in the eighth house and a stellium there. So we get along. We get along well because uh both of us, I was like, Are you really psychic? And do you know things about people? And he was like, "Yes, that's a- I do." And so we were talking about the twelfth house and how it is this place of standing in between, right? That's what a threshold is, where you can look in both directions, you can see from both perspectives, but you're also not—it's not of this world and it's not of the other world. It is the in-between space, the liminal space, the threshold space. It can be alienating, and also the twelfth house is a place that's really scary for a lot of people because it represents what we can't see. It represents darkness and shadow and things that are opaque and obscured. And that sometimes if we're not tethered, if we go too deep, we can't pull ourselves out. It's. It reminds me of walking through the labyrinth or walking into the fog without... Awareness of your surroundings or without a line that's going to pull you back and you know the 12th house represents death It represents psychic abilities. It represents the unknown the unseen the shadow world the shadow self And there's so much gold there if we're brave enough and willing enough and we know ourselves well enough, we can trust ourselves to walk in those spaces. And that's what we wanted to talk about on the 12th house. We wanted to talk about all the shit that you can't talk about, the stuff that people don't want to see, the stuff that people don't want to acknowledge, not just in the spiritual world and those concepts, but also in business and in wellness, because man, oh man, is this a shadowy place sometimes. So I'm really excited for this series because it is so appropriate for the 12th house. We are beginning our I think, five-week series on death. Ta-da! And I know, I know. Listen, stay with me if you're like, no, I don't want the depression talk. We're not going to talk about that. It's not going to be depressing. I promise you. It's going to be really fun, says the Scorpio moon. But really, we're entering Scorpio season soon. It's spooky season. It's Halloween. What better time to talk about death and passing over and everything that the concept of death holds for us. I mean, we can't talk about everything, but we can talk about a lot of stuff like past life regression and death doula and all the things, right? And and what happens to us when we die and what do we know? And we wanted to talk about death, of course, from a spiritual perspective, from a mystical perspective. And we also wanted to talk about death because it's a really important part and a natural part of a healthy business. We kind of we shy away from it, right? We like assume that everything should be all growth all the time. Up, 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 baby. Sky's the limit. Exponential growth. Hockey stick shit. Boss babing. Left and right. But what we don't acknowledge is that we have to cut off a lot of things. We have to kill a lot of things. A lot needs to die in order to grow. I mean, like we talk about nature as the like ultimate baddie <laughs> when we when talk about notion of magical baddies and we talk about building systems and notion is like the ecosystem master. Naturally, that's like where we get the term from, right? We, we build our own systems based off of an ecosystem. And the thing about nature is that there are no redundancies and there's no waste. And that's because when something dies, it fertilizes the ground and it helps other things grow. It gets poured back in to the ecosystem that energy is not wasted. It is not lost. It is recycled. It's reused, right? And I think a lot of the time, we're really scared to kill things off in our business. And we're scared to face death, to face an ending, even when something's going really well, to say, you know what? I think that we've reached the end of the line here. And I think that comes from grief and our really like our lack of familiarity with what grief holds for us and the lessons that grief holds for us because we just aren't allowed to talk about death. (laughs) In in polite society, we ignore it. I mean, we have anti-aging, which is basically anti-living, right? It's anti-death, holding death as far away from us as humanly possible. So much of wellness is like keeping yourself as healthy as possible to live as long as possible. And listen, I'm not against that. I'm not saying that you should try to hasten your demise, but how much of what we do is because we are so afraid of dying and death and the end. And it's pretty obvious that part of the divinity of being alive is acknowledging that we're going to die, right? Like that's what makes this time so special. That's why when you came down from your alien spaceship and you're like, Hmm, I know I'm omniscient. I've lived infinite lives. I understand the inner and outer universe systems and how everything works, but you know what? I'd really like to go try being a human. I feel like, you know, there's something about the death thing that, you know, how it's so quick. There's something there that I really want to experience. And so you pop down, you picked a little human meat suit to experience this life and to experience death. I mean, the womb is the threshold between life and death, too. That's why death doulas or doulas of any nature, they are those who usher us across a threshold. We got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm so excited for this series. I hope that you love it and enjoy it. And I'm pretty passionate about it, if you couldn't tell, because I, I think the, the main reason that I run Holisticism the way that I do, the reason that I care about intuitive business and why I care about the things that I care about and I do things the way that I do them, a, a lot of it has to do with death. And I'm certainly not an expert in death. I'm certainly not like chill. So super cool with death and dying. But it's been a great teacher. It's been a like great, like a capital G great. Not like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. No, it's been a great teacher in my life. And so has grief. Grief has been an incredible teacher in my life and one uh, teacher who keeps teaching me things. And I think about death a lot. I'm studying to be a death doula and my teacher Alua is actually gonna come on the podcast so you'll hear from her in a couple of weeks. But I think about death a lot and the rites and rituals that death has, how spiritual, how sacred acknowledging life and death is, how important it is, how much we ignore it in modern life because I've I've experienced a lot of death. And it was really traumatic and also like broke me open in so many ways at a time that I, you know, in my early 20s when I could like really wrestle with it. And um, I would argue that the reason I'm so spiritual is partially because of the, the grief that I experienced and maybe partially because I was diagnosed with something like epilepsy at a kind of young age. And I had a doctor tell me like, you're going to, you know, die in your sleep of a seizure. And that was a bit hyperbolic, I would guess, but also scary. And anyone who has had an illness, chronic illness, or who's dealt with terminal illness in their family or in their lives or with loved ones, you get it. It like changes the way that you do everything and how you see everything. And I think it's why I have a no asshole policy at holisticism and probably why I, I like things to be fun. Because like, what's the point? <laughs> if we're not enjoying ourselves or if we're not growing, like, what's the point? We are limited on our time. And so I'm not going to do things that I don't enjoy that aren't helping me self-actualize. And also, you know, my partner has brain cancer and he has a tumor and it's brain cancer. And his type of tumor will never be in remission. So it's sort of this thing that we hope it just, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and I believe that it's just going to stay stable forever and we'll not have to worry about it. And he's probably going to outlive me, definitely going to outlive me. But it's something that we really seriously have to talk about, uh, like often, because, you know, we're getting married in a month, thinking about what our chosen family or, you know, God willing, mm, blood family will look like, what our lives will look like together. And death and the spectra of death, the very real acknowledgement of death is something that we talk about a lot. And, while it might be, you know, like a little bit more on the tip of our tongue than it might be on the tip of your tongue, it doesn't make it any less real for any of us. Like death is personal for us all. It comes for us all. It's the great connector. And yet it is this thing that we are so afraid to talk about. So I'm really excited for this series. I've talked so much because I wanted to give you, I wanted to tee it up for you and not just be like, mm, let's go goth. Although I love a goth moment. I wanted to, to like I I think that this is the divinity of life. This is the magic in life. This is what makes the magic magic in the mundane is the acknowledgement that we don't get much time here. And we get to do something wonderful with our time. And that makes it so precious, right? So sparkly. It's almost like you can see the magic in the air. So I'm really excited for this series. And I'm so delighted to introduce our first guest to you, Sophia Cole. Sophia is a death worker. And I'm so grateful that we got introduced by Chelsea, her cousin. Chelsea is a, an amazing North Node member, and we had a really wonderful conversation. I'm I'm eager to have Sophia back on the podcast, but we talked about her experience working in the death industry and working in the natural death industry and kind of what she's seen because death has really been commoditized by capitalism. It was this sacred spiritual ritual. And in many cultures, it didn't used to be just something that was associated with a religious practice. Everyone had a ritual around death, no matter what your spiritual belief. And now we don't really have that. We have expensive funerals that make people go bankrupt. We have $10,000 Cadillac coffins that are put into the earth with people who are embalmed in them that are never going to break down and are just going to take up space. And there's a lot that's happening in the industry of death and dying that is both advancing in a beautiful way and acknowledging giving back to the earth. And there's also a lot that happens in the the death and dying industry that we talk about in this episode that's a little scary and a little black mirror. And that maybe, maybe keeps us even further away from acknowledging our humanity, from acknowledging our mortality. And how do we deal with that? Especially as people who are all aging, whose parents are aging, and who death comes for us all. It's a great equalizer. So I'm really excited about this episode. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope it's interesting to you. And I am delighted by our guest speaker lineup. And so I hope that you enjoy this spooky season. Here we come. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Michelle. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. We were connected through one of your family members and one of my, I feel like spiritual family members, Chelsea, who's in North Node. And she actually connected us when she found out I was doing death doula training. And she was like, oh my God, you have to meet my cousin, Sophia. You guys are going to hit it off. And we did.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm so just delighted to hear your perspective. And one of the things that struck me about our conversation was how holistically you look at not just the practical element and like experience of death, but also the spiritual and ritual experience of death, dying and in turn life. So I think like the first question is like, how much Scorpio do you have in your chart? to do what you do
1: (laughs) that is such a great question and the answer is only my pluto is in scorpio okay but that makes sense so the rest (laughs) is pisces you're picking up the pisces uh aquarius sun and pisces moon pisces rising pisces venus so i kind of describe myself as like an air bubble inside of an ocean
0: You're just floating to the surface. (laughs) That's, you know what? We have a lot in common because I also have a Pisces Venus. I'm a triple water and I have Pluto Scorpio too. So maybe there's, maybe there's something there.
1: There could be. Well, I think, right. We're like, we're, we're in the depths. At least Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I came at death work and grief work from being so in the depths of like human emotion and Mm. the collective psyche and being very, very overwhelmed and kind of like, okay, I need to look at this and I need to develop some tools in order to kind of learn how to have this shadowy domain that I'm exploring be something that I can kind of bring into the world and not just feel like I'm alone with it.
0: Mm. Yeah. I feel like that's a That's a a familiar experience for sure of anyone with really deep emotions. Any, I mean, I'll speak as someone with depression, capital D depression. It's like one of the most muscular things, like one of the most muscular memories. Most of the muscular memories I have were like, you know, they feel like the meatiest and hairiest or when I've been like in the depths of depression because I feel everything so deeply. And while it is excruciating, it also like reminds me of how alive I am. And I feel like that's one of the gifts of at least how I experienced depression is like, whoa, I have such capacity to feel, but also it's like borderline untenable. It's like, how do people live with this depth of feeling? Um, So I, I totally resonate with that. And what was your, I guess, like, what was your entry to holding those like intense emotions or that intense grief that you realize, like, whoa, in order to survive, I need to learn how to move through this as opposed to shutting it down, which I think most people do. It's just like put their grief in a closet and never look at it again.
1: I shut it down for a long time and still do, you know, I mean, (laughs) we have to, to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. but that is a great segue actually, into kind of giving you a little bit of my story that I don't often give everyone when I'm being asked, oh, how did you get into death care funeral service, which is that I also struggled with depression and anxiety. And in my teenage years, I was really suicidal. Mm. And I kind of started to look at my world and just really be like, what is going on here? And is there a way that I'm like trying to invert my experience craving a sort of spiritual death, like basically craving surrender Mm -hmm. and finding myself in all of these situations and in my life in which I was kind of looking around at the positivity that didn't seem to be matching. (laughs) You know, that feeling where it's like, Oh, I'm it's, it's just displacing kind of and there's so many ways that people are displaced in our culture but in the emotional way it's like oh what I seem to be experiencing about reality isn't what's being reflected back at me mm-hmm. initially it was more of a conceptual entry honestly of what is this death denial and what is this what is this toxic positivity
0: i I feel like you were a baby genius to be able to sort of like note that dissonance of toxic positivity at, at what it sounds like is, was a really young age. I don't know. I was an idiot up until I was like 28. I, I wouldn't have been an acknowledgement of that or awareness of that. How did you, did you just know like there's something wrong here or was there like, I don't know, a, like some actual experience where you're like, wait, this is not right. Like, how did you figure that out?
1: I would not take credit for it. Like <laughs> like I would say that it was very much kind of like like forced upon me by the universe in some sort of way. Like I had a, I had a very deep spiritual crisis where Mm -hmm. I couldn't function like in the world. Like I, I pulled away from my family. I pulled away from friends. I stopped going to school. Like I would get so like going to the grocery store, I would have panic attacks and it just became this kind of, I have no choice, Mm. but to be with this because like everything else was ripped away. And I feel like a lot of a lot of our human experiences is like we're dipping into things and then we're able to come out of them and dipping in and kind of coming out. I couldn't come out
0: mm. was
1: what it felt like. So I started just kind of working with some different practitioners who were able to kind of help me to see that this is what happens when trauma stacks up in your in our bodies mm-hmm. and we're freezing them. Like it's, it's this experience of like thinking that we need to go out in the world and be a certain way. And it's not always possible. So I really went through kind of two to three years solidly of just feeling like I had to be in that space. Mm -hmm. And then I came out of that thinking, oh my gosh, wow. Like how many people are falling apart and have no guidance?
0: Yeah. I think that the fact that you came out of it, is like a miracle, (laughs) you know, in a a way. I I don't think it's rare for people to just completely die to themselves or for a part of them to just be shut off. You know, it's like that castle analogy that like an entire wing is like locked to us of who we are and we just never get the key to access it again. And I think so many people who are on a spiritual journey are looking to unlock that door inside of themselves, but often escape through the top instead of unlocking and going deeper and it's a bit of a common sort of idea in spirit in the spiritual space right now which is ascension right like I'm gonna go meditate and be in Vipassana for 10 days and escape this you know bodily form and all everything that is human and elevate and ascend and move beyond the human experience and something that I wonder is like, maybe that's missing the whole point because maybe the spiritual experience is being human. And I think that this idea of ascension and getting away, escaping really Is fear of death, right, and ignoring the divinity of life and death that are right next to each other, and like we always have access. It's so simple. We always have access to these two things. They're they're promised for everyone, and yet we like love to ignore them and and pretend like they don't exist or they're not going to happen to us. How does that play into, or I guess, what do you think of that?
1: (laughs) One hundred percent. I'm feeling everything you're saying. It feels so right on because even just I, I love language. I love etymology and I love looking at just the, the ways that we speak about things and the subtle violences mm. that can come up just in kind of the language around like you're going to conquer the darkness. And there's so many that probably aren't just going to drop into my mind right now, but there's so many ways that we talk to ourselves like that. And I deeply love the light and having more clarity and more purpose and more value and getting things done and you know all of these kinds of positive associations they're wonderful but darkness isn't in opposition to god in my perspective and when i say god i I really just mean like how i perceive the spiritual presence of the world that's in all things darkness is not in opposition to that it's half of it And there's not a stopping point. We never arrive fully. We arrive in the moments with as much presence as we can muster, but we don't arrive at this kind of pinnacle point where all of our sorrows, our woes, our griefs, our visceral experiences that we go through as humans, we don't ever arrive at a place where that's fully gone. Of course, we should be trying to minimize people's suffering in the way that it's put on them by the world. But in terms of our own personal experiences, navigating that is beautiful. We're never going to be able to see past a certain boundary of our vision. Just like when we're in a womb, we're hearing, we're feeling vibrations, we're sensing in the ways that we can sense. And then everything else around that is a dark layer. we come into this world and it's the same way. Mm And I think that this feeling of like, we're going to conquer the unknown. We're going to be able to x-ray your body and see every single thing that's inside of it. (laughs) And by doing that, we're going to be able to solve everything and live forever. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe there is such thing as a heaven where there's no body and no boundaries and no darkness or whatever, but right now I don't buy it. So it's like from where I'm standing, it's the important work of being able to be more honest about how our lives come together with both of those elements.
0: I love that. And I think that what you're, what you're hitting on is like, I think the deep fear of most of us is that we're totally missing the point <laughs> like of this whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why death is scary because it sort of is kind of like, well, did did I miss the point or was I on the right track? Like, I hope that this wasn't a waste or I don't know. And I want to ask you about duality and the binary of life and death. I know we're moving away from binary systems in general, kind of to what you were saying, which is we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what's out there. Maybe we can see this line and these two points on the line, right? That are dualistic in nature, but maybe we're actually just seeing part of a circle (laughs) and we can only see a tiny little part of it. Right. But we just, not everything has been illuminated to us. We're so small in our understanding and capacity. When you just, when you think about the relationship between life and how do you think about it? Is it two halves of a whole, two opposite points? Is it two points that are next to each other and like commingled? how do you think of those two things?
1: I think most often I think of it like a spiral. If you look at a spiral drawn out, there will of course be a visible part where you're seeing where the person started drawing the line and then where they ended drawing the line. But really if it were existing in three-dimensional or four-dimensional or five-dimensional space, like it wouldn't be that way. It's something that's constantly twisting in and out of itself. And I don't feel like in my life I'm born and then I'm climbing this mountain and the mountain is going up and up and up until I have this one death at the end of my life and then maybe that's like a decline or something. Mm-hmm. I think of I think of it as kind of like waving up and waving down and and experiencing many moments of Like you were saying earlier, oh, I'm dead to who I used to be now. And this kind of relates to social contracts too, because when you have those friends or people in your life where it's like, oh, I have to be this old version of myself. And that feels so weird Yeah, because we don't have that framework necessarily for we are entitled to change and transform in so many ways. And it's an odd thing that we try to make up this appearance of everything being so solid, Mm -hmm. um, or so unchanging. That's like the domesticated quality, right? Of like, I'm a fixed energy walking Mm -hmm. on this straight line through space. Yes. Yes. So if I were to think of a shape, I I almost can't because it's like all the shapes and mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, that was just my image in this moment was a spiral.
0: I love that. I I was a modern dancer and so I took a lot of anatomy I, and I went to school for it. So I took a lot and a lot of anatomy classes. And one of the things that struck me that my teacher always told me was that our body is is made in spirals, like, you know, even like your arm, you know, that's a spiral motion, but the way the muscles wrap on our body, like on our legs, they're all in spirals. And so when we're moving in a healthy way, we're not moving necessarily like so linearly, we are a spiral in and of ourselves. And we sometimes forget about that. I mean, it's our DNA. It's like a duh moment when you think about it. But I love the idea of like the life and death experience as this spiraling also like in and out of the light, you know, cause when, when the light shines on a spiral, some of it is illuminated and some of it isn't, it just depends on like the perspective that you're looking at it from. So. Oh my
1: gosh. Do you still dance?
0: I do. Yeah. I'm actually working on, I, I'm not like, you know, I don't perform, but, um, my own art practice, what I'm working on right now is painting and I'm, I choreograph a phrase. So I put together a movement phrase and then I put all this paint on a giant canvas. And then I just do the motion over and over and over again, whatever the phrase is that I created. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about like, what is repetition? What is the body moving through space? And even if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, it's always going to be different and I can't get it back and I can get some sort of like imprint of it when the ether, the paint is the ether or the ether outside of me, but I'm never going to be able to totally capture it. So what is it like to maybe try and capture it from just, or essences of I don't know, the same thing, this repetitive motion, but it's not repetitive. It's totally different each time. And I think that's kind of life too,
1: you know? Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, I don't want to
1: force you to perform, but like, <laughs> if you ever do and have a video or something, send it
0: what if you just like made me do it on Zoom right now? You're like, show me you can dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I I loved being an artist and a professional artist, but I often found as, especially as a modern dancer, postmodern dancer, where a lot of people don't have the language or the reference to understand what you're talking about, because it's, we don't really teach art to, or dance, especially to the general population that I, I couldn't help people as much as I wanted to with art, but like all art does is remind us of life. There are so many different ways to look at that. And when I stopped dancing was when I had a bunch of really like traumatic deaths happen in my life. And with like really complex people, people who were not just one thing, who weren't just like good and pure, but in their death, that's what they were reduced down to. Or in one example, it was kind of like, let's forget he ever existed. He was complex and let's just like put him away and never talk about him again. And I'm so curious about that and that we do that over and over to each other, to the people that we love, we reduce them down to one core essence, right? And you kind of alluded to this earlier. We are not this one static thing. We are, I think like when we know ourselves and who we truly are, instead of one root that you can reduce us down to, we're actually like this massive amoeba of like complexity and prism and color and feeling, right? And I wonder where that comes from, because I don't think that we've always treated death in that way. I, But I don't know. What, would, what do you think? I mean, you are such an expert in this and you've been in this area for so long. I'd be so curious to hear your thoughts on the injustice of how we don't honor the full person at the end of their life.
1: It's one of those things that is that I I feel from my perspective, that is almost always intended. Well, Mm -hmm. like it's intended to be, I'm remembering the beautiful things about this person. Mm -hmm. And there's different directions that I could go with this. Like I have heard a lot of families, for example, <clears throat> who've come into the funeral homes that I've worked at and said, I don't want a viewing, which mm-hmm. is fine. Yeah. Nobody has to spend time with a body. But the most commonly cited reason is that people want to remember mm-hmm. this person who, as alive. they were. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only as they were in their like totality, but as they were in the most positive moments, the mo- the, the light of who they were. And it's interesting to me because it almost feels like we're hoping that once a person has died, that they are free of maybe some of the more complex parts of who they were. And I've I've seen spirits for long enough in my life, like starting from when I was a child. And I'm like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. that you know, I, I feel like I feel like whatever is existing in the energetic and the spiritual realm, however you want to look at it, like it's to me it's it's got to be just as complex as we are here as mm. beings mm-hmm. and to be able to have those relationships be ongoing like in a way Saying, oh, I'm just going to remember the positive things about this person is similar, or is kind of side by side to this other thing of, oh, I'm just going to forget that person exists. Mm-hmm. In that, the, the ongoing relationship with, oh, if this person is still a spirit that has these these different dimensions to them, maybe I could still talk to them mm-hmm. as if they were still right here. Mm-hmm. And they still have those qualities. I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity, even for. I mean, I don't know what your your beliefs are around like ghosts or like con- the continuation of energy. How that happens?
0: Deeply believe in them. I see them yeah. all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, to me, it's like, oh, a lot of the the ghosts that I've ex- that I've experienced and spoken to is like they're saying very human things, <laughs> and it's almost like a conversation that's like. Oh, this person just wanted to continue being spoken to, or continue unfolding some trauma that happened, or some historical memory that is still existing in that in that field. Yeah. I think so. I, I feel that it's really important, actually, to continue to hold the totality of what could be possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that when we like on the spiritual kick when we talk to our ancestors or our spiritual team sometimes we look to our ancestors as like these benevolent all-knowing wise entities that have the ultimate right answer and they're unselfish but the truth is like they're just as human they are just as like biased and maybe kind of fucked up and maybe toxic honestly and they're still part of your team right like you get to be in conversation with them and that is, I wonder if this is, this comes from Christianity and religion and the sort of puritanical nature of like higher power or elders or patriarchy knowing better than we do and how that's sort of like flowed into our lives and how we grieve and what, how we sort of elevate people once they aren't here with us anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. I think about the intersections of capitalism, <laughs> patriarchy, white supremacy, and, the, and how all these kind of mentalities blend together to essentially tell us like the story of how things are that keeps the world going as it goes.
0: Yeah. Which
1: and isn't it- a good thing always, <laughs> or most of the time maybe. I, I think a lot about how capitalism as a system has no space for death. Because that doesn't produce, right? It's literally like the antithesis of production. It's a time when everything halts and when we're beyond the known, beyond things that we can use as materials or tools to like make something that's profitable. So grief is a very like dangerous rebellion, I guess, against. And then there's like all the languaging around hysteria and any display of kind of like feeling deeply is is put into that category too. It's funny when I talk about death I sometimes I'm like, wow, oh, this is hard to talk about because death doesn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, and ooh, I love I love that you brought in capitalism, obviously, cuz we love to be capitalism critical here. And my experience of grief has been it has no like calendar date. You can't be like, "Yeah, I'm going to grieve for the next 5 days and then I'm going to be cool and come back to work and be totally productive." It just like strikes when it feels like it, and it can be 10 years after the fact and all of a sudden you're like on your knees with grief and it just comes out of nowhere and that keeps you on your toes. But I used to work in tech and I've been so curious as to why death as an industry isn't something that has been disrupted by tech in a in a really big way yet because that's what tech is all about, right? It's disrupting a huge industry and the one that touches the most people. And that would certainly be death because it comes for all of us. Something that's been really freaking me out lately is new AI that's been created. I don't know if you saw the Anthony Bourdain. There's a recent documentary that came out and the creators actually made a deep fake of him speaking. So they were able, because there's so much media from him and actually now all of us, they were able to recreate his voice exactly and have him read, quote unquote, an email that he had written exactly with his intonation. And you couldn't tell when you're watching the documentary that it wasn't actually him recording it, that it was this deep, fake AI generated voice. And it's been, it's really caused like um, an ethics kerfuffle in the documentary space and also in the AI space around what's appropriate and what's not. Mm. And our relationship to technology. And I've read some art stories recently around people who have taken this man in particular. his girlfriend died. He took her Instagram, her emails, her blog, her YouTube channel. He fed it into AI into an algorithm. And now he texts with her and talks to her on the phone. Based on oh all of this state, which like totally gave me full body chills in a freaky yeah. way yeah. and is able to talk to her every day and have conversations with her that are brand new because this algorithm has this information from who she was. And there are these theme parks that they're thinking of building in Japan where you could go visit a loved one who's basically been, who's passed on, where you upload their consciousness from your their computer, from their social media, and you can go have these conversations with them. You can even see like a computer-generated version of them. And I'm like, <laughs> wouldn't it just be easier if we <laughs> if we just acknowledge death and grieving? I don't know, right? Like, what, but how interesting. What do you think of all that?
1: That is so trippy, Michelle. I had a dream once that like, I actually won't go into the details because it was kind of disturbing. Like it was about, it was a blend of like AI and embalming. Mm -hmm. It was like, there was like a new technology that for embalming, which right as of right now, embalming isn't permanent, right? Like it offsets decomposition, but it doesn't completely make it go away forever. But there was like this new, some kind of treatment that basically made it like kind of an a, and forever thing. Whoa. And then there was an AI that was like actually uploaded into this like embalmed body that was like part robotic that could. Oh. That's like a Black Mirror
0: it. episode. There was kind of an episode like that where the girl had a robot of her partner that was like fleshy and like they uploaded his consciousness to it and yeah.
1: I just like, like here's the thing here's what I think about that. We could possibly exist forever in a digital space mm-hmm. in a way we kind of already are.
0: I was going to say we already do. We, we yeah. do kind of exist forever. Like,
1: and right now we're kind of split. Like we yeah. still have these like physical lives, but if we don't continue to be embodied, that's just going to exist. But then humanity's going to be extinct because we live in, on an earth that mm-hmm. needs matter right? Like that literally feeds on matter to recycle itself and to continue creating the trees and the plants and Mm -hmm. the food and the air and the water that is feeding us. And to bring it like back to capitalism a little bit is my issue isn't with production. I love to be productive. My issue is like that in order to have balance, we have to be in reciprocity, which not only means like going into our own emotional lows, But also on a physical level, like we have our bodies have to die, Mm -hmm. and our bodies have to go back into the hole, just like the plants in our garden do. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, like, it doesn't matter how alive we can keep ourselves in through technology, because the earth doesn't produce forever. It needs the re, right? It needs the re, pre, re in front of production, yeah. which is like, that's the medicine of, and I'm I'm not like super clear on how I think in terms of the binary, but with a feminine principle, mm-hmm. I think of birth and death as kind of more that giving into something or giving back yeah. death as giving back what we've been given, which is life.
0: Mm. Yeah, it strikes me that, you know, capitalism as we, as we practice it now is just this extractive process, right? That doesn't pour back into, it's not regenerative to use the re it's all about taking. And we don't notice the effects of it until it's like incredibly painful, right? Until, Oh, all of a sudden, like we can't, we literally can't grow things here anymore and we have to move somewhere else. And then even then we kind of numb ourselves to the side effects or like the, effects of our actions. And it reminds me a little bit of, of this, like this perspective on death of, well, how can I sort of alleviate the grief or pain? So I just don't feel it. So I don't feel it and I don't need to feel it. I can kind of create a balm for myself so that I can be extracted or so I can continue producing. Even how we do this with our physical bodies, with things like plastic surgery and anti-aging, it's almost as if we're, we're putting this veneer on, to protect ourselves from the inevitable, even though we know the inevitable is on the other side. It's like, there's something about it that we think if we can just paint over it, it will go away or we can, we won't have to deal with the effects of it, but inevitably we will, because that is, that's life. And that's the life. And that's, it's a cycle. It's not like an endless, I don't know, journey upwards.
1: Yeah. I, so do you know much about embalming?
0: I don't know a lot about embalming. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who would want to hear more about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I studied embalming and I want to preface this by saying that I know firsthand some really, really wonderful embalmers who do great work and who are giving families what they're asking for. And so what I'm going to say conceptually, like has nothing to do with the individuals. It's more of like the framework from which it arose out of, mm-hmm. which kind of emerged during the Civil War to get soldiers home, like mm-hmm. fallen soldiers home mm-hmm. when there weren't cars, you know, you're trapped cross country in some cases on horseback. And there needed to be some kind of some kind of way procedure to keep people intact so that the families could have access to their bodies to say goodbye. Because it's very well known that having access to a body and being able to say goodbye to someone's physical form is like deeply healing and really necessary in many cases. But then quickly after that, it kind of became this, you don't have to decompose, you can remain this relic of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I've literally heard families say, I don't want the worms to get to mom. And so there's some kind of psyche of human, human worm, human earth that we're trying to keep ourselves in the sheltered little box where the elements aren't going to get to us. But why? I think of it as being quite selfish. Why are we so resistant to letting ourselves not be ourselves Mm. anymore? you know, even after death, letting Mm -hmm. ourselves become a part of a larger ecosphere. Like it's not about ego identity anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not even about like, oh, I lost this person. I didn't want to lose this person. So I'm going to pretend like they're still alive. It's also like, well, did the person who died give you consent to keep Mm -hmm. them alive forever as this like past version of themselves? There's a lot of directions it could go, but basically it's like this folding of our human identity.
0: You could interpret that in in so many different ways of being so married to some version of someone, some like nostalgic take or perspective on who a person was and how like yeah, did they consent to that to be reduced down to that thing or to you holding them in that way? And to me just says we don't know how to grieve. And I think the ritual and the rite, like the actual like the rite of passage of grief has been really stripped away from us, probably from capitalism, but also just because like, as we are more detached from our bodies, as we can move into computers and distract ourselves with the world around us, these rites of passage that we go through that are part of life, that are sacred, they become less and less important, especially as we move away from our own cultural identities, as we forget where we've come from, as we take on other people, appropriate other people's practices. We we like, we lose touch with that and how, how that does connect us to our humanity.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's an actual ecological morality to dying and it's just popped into my head. I don't know if you've heard of Marion Woodman. She's like a depth psychologist who oh, wrote cool. through archetypes and kind of like journey yeah of connecting with different archetypes and and one of the quotes that has stuck with me for like so many years I probably read her books like 5 or 6 years ago was to remain in a fixed position is to rot mm. especially if it be in the garden of Eden
0: Ooh that's good
1: There's so much in there yeah <laughs> yeah But it's like, yeah, because the movement, the, the like, oh yeah, we're letting ourselves change. We're letting ourselves, even if that means not being ourselves anymore, like we're letting ourselves go through that because movement is life.
0: Yes. Yes. And it's okay to, to not like it, you know, going back to circling back to toxic positivity. It's okay to, to like, want to be the old version of yourself to like grieve that person. Right. And be like, fuck. That was cool when I was them, but I'm not them anymore. And we don't give ourselves that. We don't give ourselves the option to be unhappy, to like be dissatisfied. We are just looking for contentment. And that again, that balm, and uh, there is a lot of value in being dissatisfied and a lot of like lesson there, but it yeah. sucks.
1: It <laughs> does. It does. <laughs> I hear you there. <laughs> it's not comfortable. <laughs>
0: I feel like we're going to have to have a multi-parter because we didn't even really get into like the spirituality around death and, and a funeral experience or the ritual or rite of death rites. And I want to talk to you more about that, but Sophia, how can people find you and work with you and learn more about what you do?
1: Yeah. Well, I am not a huge social media user. (laughs) Um, I never have been mostly because, well, I do have a personal page. It's Sophia, S-O-F-I-A dot kohl k-o-h-l right now i'm at like a precipice of in the next couple of months launching my business which is going to be sort of holistic care for end of life in hospice care funeral care are totally separate from each other yes and that's not how i like to do things i like to work with people on a more of a in-depth scale of time so it's going to be kind of from pre-death through post-death cool just being kind of in these journeys with people and who knows it'll probably adapt before i talk to you next (laughs) but if you follow my personal instagram i will post my business there and my new page once it's once it goes live
0: perfect well In the meantime, we'll be tuning in just to hear your brilliant thoughts because Mm -hmm. you're just a wellspring of knowledge and self-knowledge. And I'm so happy that people like you exist and that you're doing the work that you do because it's I think one of the most important things in the world and it's one of also like the things that we want to forget about we never want to think about until it's actually happening to us and then we're like fuck I wish there was someone like Sophia that existed and the good news is that you do exist
1: (laughs) well I want to tell everyone to please talk to me because like being in death work can sometimes feel like an island (laughs) I'm like gosh maybe I should just make beautiful graphics (laughs) so it helps to be like, Oh yeah, people are curious about this. And thank you so much, Michelle. I admire you so much. It's always amazing to hear you be able to engage with such a wide span of topics. <laughs> and connect with So many people and it's like, you're somehow carrying this thread of community connection. And it's, it's really inspiring.
0: No. Well, thank you. It was such a joy to talk to you. Okay, that's it. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I just can't wait to hear what you think. (laughs) And I mentioned that I'm going through Death Doula Training, and I got so many amazing comments on Instagram about it. And I would love to hear from you about what you think, how you relate to death, how it shows up in your life. And you know, we don't have to be Debbie Downer. We can, you can totally be Debbie Downer though. Trust me, all your feelings are valid. If you got through this episode and you were like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this episode because death is really scary for me. I just want to give you a big hug virtually. Big hug. Yay. And say congrats. You did it. And keep that curiosity, my friend. That's what the 12th house is all about. Honestly, as long as you stay rooted in who you are and you trust yourself, you can navigate any dark sea. And I'll leave you with that. Okay. Have a good rest of your week. Talk to you Friday. Bye.